Open your Bibles, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of our God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. Now, just while I get settled, what I want you to do, and I don't want you to be tempted to do anything else, but I want you to pass the peace to each other. Put your right hand out and say, the peace of the Lord be with you. I don't want any talk about weather or anything else, just while I get settled here, okay? That was quick. Okay. My name is Bill Sharrock, and uh, Pauline and I, have been here for uh, just on 16 months now, and um, it's great to be here. Uh, one of my past lives, I was a minister with the Churches of Christ for 20 years, and uh, it was a great experience, and I can assure you that Pastor Bob has gone to a very good church an excellent church, and in a team ministry, he will blossom and um, he will contribute and they will contribute to his ongoing development as a minister. And so I assure you that the church in which he's going is uh, probably one of um, the evangelical churches within the Churches of Christ movement. I don't know if you know of a person called uh, Ravi Zacharias. He's a modern-day Christian apologist and philosopher. And Ravi tells a story that he was travelling and he arrived in London and he had to go to a certain uh, destination and he wasn't too sure how he was going to get there. And so he saw this lady and he went up and said, excuse me, ma'am, can you tell me how to get to 
this place. And she said, of course, you take uh, number five tram and that'll take you all the way. So Ravi said, thank you very much, turned his back and went on to uh, get on that train. And the lady came up behind him and tapped him on the shoulder and said, aren't you Ravi Zacharias? He said, yes, I am. He said, "Uh, you ask, you answer a lot of questions. He said, yes, I do. She said, what are you going to say when you get to heaven? And Ravi said, it's not what I'm going to say. It's what God is going to say to me. And I hope he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't know what you think about heaven, how, uh, what it's like, or what you've got to do to get there, or whether you're assured of your salvation and that you have no problems at all, that you are going to be in heaven. In fact, I can tell this because I was a Baptist for about uh, 30 ye- years in my younger life. And there's a story told of an elderly couple who um, had 60 years of marriage and uh, unfortunately the wife got called home. And so she got to the pearly gates and St. Peter was there. And um, she said, what are you doing here, St. Peter? And she said, oh, I'm the gatekeeper. You've got to answer one question. And she said, oh, what's that? said, you've got to spell something, a word. He said, okay, what's the word? And St. Peter said, salvation. Oh, thanks be to God, she said, and she spelt salvation. About two months later, the husband died, and he went to the pearly gates. And he was astonished to see that his wife was at the gate. And he said, darling, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm the gatekeeper for the day. The gatekeeper for the day. Yes, she said, I let people in. Oh, and what have I got to do to get in? Oh, that's easy, love. You've got to spell a word. Oh, yeah, what word's that? She said, supercadrophagic expialidocious. And of course, this is a little bit sarcastic, I do it in good faith. So these two got in and they were walking around with their guardian angels. And as they were walking around heaven, they saw this huge brick wall and they heard a lot of singing and praising going on. And they said, who's behind the brick wall? And the guardian angel said, it's the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. So I can say that in good health. Don't take it as offensive or whatever. But uh, that's how it goes. The theme today is separating truth from fiction. Truth from fiction. Let me ask you three questions. Are there degrees of sin? Are there big sins 
and little sins. There is some of you who study your Bible say, Ah, Bill, there are degrees of sin. There's a sin against blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is unforgiven. And that's true, it is. It's in the Bible. In fact, it's in Matthew 12. But what does that mean? What, what is that sin? That sin is continually denying that God exists, Jesus Christ, his son, doesn't exist, and the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. And when your conscience tells you to think of greater about these things and you don't, that is an unforgiven sin. But are there big sins and small sins? Can you name the seven deadly sins? I don't want them in order, just name them. Can you name one? Sorry? Yeah, okay. Others? Greed? Let me go through them. We had great fun at Theological College with these, I can tell you. The seven deadly sins. Lust. Gluttony. Greed. Sloth. Wrath. Envy and pride. Lust, a strong, uncontrollable passion for something, and usually especially for sexual desire. 2 Timothy 2.22. Gluttony, excessive pursuit of material goods. Sloth. Excessive laziness, as Lindsay pointed out two weeks ago about this illustration with the ants. Wrath, an over-the-top anger and hate towards another, Romans twelve nineteen. Envy, an intense desire to have an item that someone else has, an intense desire. Pride, an excessive view of self without regards for others. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. How many of the above have you committed? How many have I committed? I can name about three, I think, in that list. But there's one thing I want, and this is the truth. You may not have committed any of the above, but I think we have all been tempted at some stage or more with them. Temptation is not a sin. Activating the temptation is a sin. 
What did Satan say to Adam and Eve? Did God not say you can't eat of that fruit of that tree? The temptation. But the sin they committed was actually taking and having it. So temptation itself is not a sin. And another truth I want you to understand that is not fiction is that God has more faith in you than you have of yourself. God has more faith in you than you have of yourself. We take Job, for instance, and the prelude to uh, the story of Job, what's happening? God is in heaven and Satan is there. And Satan is smirking and saying, God, you take your hand off Job and you let me have him and he will curse you to, his, to your face. And God, God said, okay, Satan, you have your go, but you can't take his life. God had great faith in his uh, man of Job, and he has great faith in you, that when you're tempted, you'll be able to say, this is not a good temptation. I should not do this. I should not be thinking this. I should not be acting this way towards another person. And just say, Lord, help me through this temptation. He has more faith in you than perhaps what you have of yourself. There's a wonderful old hymn. It says, Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you, some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. And you all know the chorus, don't you? Ask the Saviour to help you, to comfort, strengthen and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Friends, during my ministry, I found it extremely difficult and almost impossible to give, convince new, uh, mature and new Christians that once they've given their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, confessed him as their saviour, that your sins and their sins are forgiven. They're blotted out. They're gone. Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Very early in my life, I was a wool classer. And I went over to this shed in South Australia, and he had 2,000. Uh, merino lambs to be shorn. 
And we started, the shearers started them, and um, magnificent lamb's wool. Beautiful length, white, bright, everything you would want. But on top of that, a lot of them had dermatitis. Because of the grease in the wool, the wool gets mouldy and it goes different colours. And so I said to the, uh, the people working on the table with me, I said, I'll take the tops, you work through the rest, and all this dermatitis goes into that bin over there. So we were doing this, and the owner, who was an Italian, he came in about 8.30 after we'd been going an hour, and he said, how's it going, Bill? I said, uh, oh, a bit of a struggle. He said, we've got your tops here, your seconds, and then your dermatitis. And he said, why don't you put that dermatitis in with the seconds? The last wool classer did. And I said, no, I can't do that. I said, firstly, you're going to lose money, lots of money. And I said, secondly, it's going to lose, uh, make a mess of what we've got. He said, the other wall class that did it, I want you to do it. And I said, well, my stencil doesn't go on your wool bales. On your tops, yes, but the others, no. He said, I want you to do it. And I said, no. So I said, look, you get on the phone to elders in Portland tell them exactly what I'm doing. I said, we'll stop shearing and um, come back and whatever happens, uh, we'll see what happens. So he came back and he said, Bill, he said, the boss at uh, Elder says you're doing the right thing. Wool scouring, the high price gets for the less they wash the wool. The lighter, the brighter it is, the less hassle to clean it and get it to um, pure white. The dermatitis might have to go through the machine five or six times. And so the price goes down. Jesus Christ has washed your sins away. He's blotted them out. We need to know that. We need to know that. We need to know that when we confess our sins, they are forgiven, they are forgotten, and they're forever devoid of any punishment or penalty from God because of Christ's atoning blood on the cross. Many believe that is fiction. especially in the eastern countries like India. That is fiction, they say. To be right with our gods, and I think Ravi said there's something like 3,000 of uh, uh, gods in India. Some of them you've probably seen yourself or heard of them. They walk miles on their knees. Some of them roll over for miles 
trying to get right with their gods. And they say, this is fiction. Christianity is too easy. You can't just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I for, uh, Forgive me for my sin. But that's what some God says. You acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal saviour and you are saved. My adopted mother always paused on that verse in Matthew which reads, many are called but few are chosen. All the time she would say that. Many are called and few are chosen. But do you believe the truth of God's word and the actions of Jesus Christ in his life and death? Or is it fictitious for you? Do you have your doubts and your fears, your apprehensions about where you will stand on judgment day? And by the way, there is one. I want to give an illustration about a young Mother, and if any young, any ladies here have gone through this, my heart goes, is with you in telling this story. She and her husband went over to Saudi Arabia and he had some uh, work in the uh, oil fields over there. And she became pregnant. And she carried this little child the full term. And then she lost the little child. And her grandmother back in Victoria, at Chelsea where I was, rang me up and said, Bill, something terrible has happened. And I went on and she said, my granddaughter has lost her little bub. But they said over there, that's quite all right, my dear. That's quite all right. You're young enough to have many more. This only happens, you know, that's quite all right. But of course, the young mum was devastated. And she, she and her husband came back to Australia. And they asked if I would do the funeral. And the first question she asked me was, Bill, will God accept my baby? That was her biggest fear. Will God accept my baby? What would you say? How would you answer that? And I said, to what I believe in the scriptures and what I read of Jesus, of course he will. Jesus took the children in his arms and blessed them. And Jesus said to the disciples, anyone who welcomes the little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me also welcomes the Father who sent me. Whoever is the least, among you is the greatest. In Matthew nineteen fourteen, let the little children come to me, 
Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. She needs reassurance that her little one is going to be in glory. It was the hardest funeral I ever did. And when I had finished, I said, God, don't ever let me have to do another one. And thanks be to God, he didn't. Of a little uh, child that died like that. The brothers and sisters, in Jesus our sins have been washed away, the old is dead, and all that held us captive to the old nature has been conquered by him. In him, we are given new life. We are redeemed. We are renewed. We are rewarded. And this is the truth. It's not fiction. But if you're still doubting me, let me transfer you back to the Old Testament. And King David, he's finished his fighting, all the wars. And now he's in his uh, palace and he's sitting there and he said, I'm sitting here in this beautiful palace while God is in a tent. He said, that's not good enough for me. I'm going to build him a temple. And God sent Nathan, the prophet Nathan, to him. And Nathan said, David, no, you're not. You're not going to build a temple. But one of your children is going to build the temple and and that will be glory to you. And part of King David's prayer in 2 Samuel 7.28, this is what he says. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, I've been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all this to your servant, saying, I, meaning God, will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O sovereign Lord. Your words are truth. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Now, I want you to put your name there in the place of servant. And I want you to say that prayer. For you are God, O sovereign Lord. Your words are truth, and you have promised these good things to your servant, Bill, Pauline, Tim, Brooke, God is truth. His words are truth. His actions are true. Paul, in this marvellous letter to the believers in Rome and now to us in 2020, drums into us consistently. In Christ, nothing can now separate us from God. Nothing. 
In verse 37, it speaks of sufferings, hardships, doubts, discouragement at times, growing cold in our faith, perhaps feeling guilt caused by past sins, and the scars are still there. When I was 10 years old in an orphanage not very far from here, they said, you can't go down there and milk the cows. I went down there. And in my guilt as I was walking along and trying to hide, I didn't realise they had barbed wire fences going across the laneway. And as I was looking up to the orphanage, I cut my face very badly. And so with blood all streaming down, I had to go up and as they washed with salt water, they said, this will teach you, you little so-and-so. But even today, if I have a close enough shave, I can see those scars on my cheek. And it keeps reminding me that I was disobedient that time. But the fact is, and the truth is, we are not exempt from trials, difficulties, hard things. We are living human beings, being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And it takes time. It takes commitment. It takes faith, hope and love to do these things. And aligning with us, are the following standouts in Scripture, and we can include Abraham and Sarah. We can include Moses. We can, as I have, we've included Job. We can include Elijah. We can even include Jesus, except for his human sinfulness, which he didn't have any. But he had struggles. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 11, 23 to 33, had struggles. But, what, but whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again. I dared to boast about it too. Are they Hebrew? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. Uh, far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I have been beat, beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've been travelled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well from the Gentiles. 
I have faced danger in the cities and in the deserts and on the sea. And I face danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have daily burdened of my concerns for the church, who is weak without my feeling that weakness, who is led astray and I don't want to burn with anger. If I must boast, I'd rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy and eternal praise knows, I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Artes kept guard at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through the window in that city to escape for him. Now that's pretty hard, isn't it? Did Paul have an easy life? No, he did not. Paul mentions words in Christ. 169 times in all his letters. In Romans, he mentions the words eight times. 3.24, God declares us not guilty. He does this through Jesus Christ. 3.26, God declares sinners to be right in his sight because they believe in Jesus. 5.1, 5, 11, 5, 17, 6, 11, 6, 23, 7, 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thanks be to God. The answer is in our Lord Jesus Christ. My time is up. It's gone. And I'm not even halfway through yet, so I'll have to make it a second time. But I want to reassure you, friends, if you have bowed your knee and asked God to forgive you through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. You are. But unfortunately, being human... Sometimes we keep on sinning and we need to repent from that sin too and ask Jesus to come in to our hearts and do that. There's a story in closing of a man who decided he was going to build a car and he did. And he called the car the Packard. And the advertising people said, oh, you must advertise, you must you know, put up billboards, you must get your name in the paper, you must do this, you must do that to advertise your car. And he kept on refusing what they were going to do or what they asked him to do. And they said, why are you continuing not to do this? And he said, I don't need any advertising. Just ask the man 
who owns one. And when he died, just ask the man who owns one became the placard slogan. Christian, are you and I witnesses of the truth of who Jesus Christ is and of his love? Are we willing to stand and bear witness to Jesus? Leading the way this morning with Michael Yusuf, he said, if every Christian got up and spoke to one person a week about who Jesus Christ was to them, we would have a revival. We pray, O oh Lord, give us a revival. O oh Lord, give us revival. But what are we willing to do about it? We want God just to go, or flash of lightning, lay us all flat. God is saying, Bill, when are you going to go and talk to your neighbour? When are you going to go down the street and help that guy and give him a glass of water in my name and say, oh, by the way, I just want to tell you who Jesus Christ is? Then you'll get your revival. You want to pray about this church being packed to the rafters? You long for that day? Do something about it. Go out and speak to your neighbour, your farmer, your best friend, whoever that is. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Father God in heaven, thank you for your love towards us. Thank you that we are your creation, that you moulded us and made us just who we are for a particular reason. We thank you for our journey. We thank you for our personalities. We thank you for who we are really and truly. Lord, help us to live a true life and not a fictitious life. Help us to enjoy what you have given us, particularly in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to have the courage to go beyond these doors and make our Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. Lord, this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.